0: medford bites listeners today on the podcast i interviewed simi buck about her business loving little minds she shares a personal and professional approach to the importance of diverse representation in children's books you will also hear a new addition to the podcast today ads for local businesses if you're interested in having a free ad run on the podcast reach out to me at medfordpod at gmail.com in the second part of today's episode you will hear an interview with dr divya anand about the work she does professionally as a professor and researcher in regards to the well-being and representation of black and brown children in Medford and surrounding communities. Dr. Anand also discusses the work she's doing at the grassroots level with the residents of the Medford Housing Authority. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm just gonna ask you to introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and just to tell us a little bit about your business.
1: Yeah. So thank you again for the invitation to join you on your podcast. Um, My name is Simi Buck. I use the pronouns she, her. I'm a Medford resident and I'm an Indian American. And I'm also the president and co-founder of Loving Little Minds Home Library Project, which is a nonprofit whose mission it is to distribute multicultural children's books to kids and their Mm -hmm. families. We want to ensure healthy relationships with race and diversity. And we also want to inspire kids to envision a more inclusive future. And so we have two age groups that we serve, zero to two and three to six. And at the moment, we send 100 families diverse books each month all over the country. Hmm. And we pick them ourselves and we share them on our social media channels. Um, And the last thing I'll say is that we prioritize sending books to those who cannot otherwise afford it. But anybody can pay to subscribe and receive the books as well. And their subscription subsidizes our costs to provide the books to another family for free.
0: Wow, that's so cool. And what kind of drove you to start this business?
1: Yeah, so we're about 18 months old. Um, After the murder of George Floyd last summer, when conversations around race had reached this crescendo and everyone was reckoning with their own personal experiences around diversity, my family and I, like, many others, we were wanting to do something mm-hmm. and participate in making a change. And we were seeing these sort of systemic societal problems that had come to light so sharply. So the nonprofit was born partly out of my own experiences of growing up as one of the only non-white kids you know, in my classrooms. You know, diverse voices were often seen as, quote, unquote, the other. And at that age, representation matters so much. You know, when mm-hmm. you're a kid, they influence what you think you can do and who you think you can be. And I have personal stories that I can share about my experience, but we can start with the facts. And there's well established research that books, you know, they're a pathway to empathy. They're a way for us to experience and understand somebody else's perspective. And so they're a powerful tool for change. And historically, people haven't wanted to talk about race with kids. You know, they say they're too young, it's too early. But science now says that kids notice skin color as early as six months and they're making decisions on their playmates by three years and by four years they're making negative associations with certain skin colors so the time to talk about diversity is now and we thought this was a nice way to begin that conversation.
0: Wow that sounds sounds really
1: impactful. Um, what's been the biggest challenge of, uh, of
0: your business so far?
1: Yeah so at the moment we package all of our books from our home in Medford um, with 100 books to package and deliver each month that sort of becomes a daughter and husband, they are the ones who sort of hand deliver the local books to our local families in Medford. And, you know, they, their route is like, you know, they, they stop by at playgrounds, they try to make it fun. And and they actually do take a lot of pride in dropping these books off at doorsteps. But at the end of the day, I have two small kids, five and three, and my husband and I, we both have full time jobs. And um, so what we do for the nonprofit is usually after bedtime, or in tandem with the kids. So I would say the hardest part, has been balancing all of that Um, we've been lucky to have help from generous friends you know for example with our website and for example with our meeting presence but we could use more hands on deck for sure you know more volunteer support for outreach for example and even more help with you know social media that kind of stuff
0: yeah no, it sounds like a pretty grassroots uh company that you're building here um Mm. and and what's been sort of the most it's I mean it sounds like a really cool opportunity for your daughter to be delivering some of these books with her dad and uh, like sort of connecting to the community in that way. Um, what's been sort of the most rewarding part for you?
1: Yeah, I would say there have been two really rewarding pieces. Um, one has been the feedback that we get from caretakers and families about how this has really opened up an opportunity for them to talk about race when they didn't know where to start. And they talk about, you know, their kids are falling asleep with these books. They're asking their caretakers to read them over and over again, which is always a good sign, mm-hmm. asking questions about different festivals that the books show and share. You know, they're very curious and they're interested. In, and for them, seeing this kind of diversity is going to be the norm. Mm-hmm. And it's really great that our kids who are sort of in this age range of five and three, they're also sort of benefiting from the books that we're picking the topics that we're thinking about. So that's really cool to see. And I would say the second most rewarding thing has been the connections that we've made in our community. You know, so we've met our caregivers who have similar missions and are working in a similar space, and we're learning so much from each other. Um, We're building these connections on our social media, on Instagram. And, you know, we've heard from authors whose books we've featured, for example, and we've been able to promote marginalized authors' books and give them a platform. So that has been
0: really cool wow yeah it sounds like um a lot of connection to new folks and seeing your kids really benefit from uh from the reading that they're doing um I remember we actually were subscribers so there was one book that we got about that and my son was like really into kites at the time and it was like it was just really cool to see him like connect with uh with an idea um with somebody who lived you know all the way around the world in a totally different yeah. culture, so that was really cool. Um, uh, what and, and what hopes do you have, like for the Medford community, um, and like and how do those align with the mission of your work?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've been in Medford for about eight years now. You We're know, proud residents. My hope is that Medford continues to build on that momentum that it currently has. You know, I can I can sense it right now. It, it's sort of becoming this increasingly inclusive community that welcomes diversity of all different kinds and I can feel it in the you know my neighbors and and all the people that we meet and and there have been some pretty big changes in the community you know there's more curiosity and more interest in promoting these marginalized voices and giving them a platform and I really hope that continues and and that's what we're hoping for for the next generation through these kinds of books you know we want to give them a foundation where they're able to amplify diverse voices and for example be okay with seeing somebody different from them in a position of power hmm. you know from firsthand experience i know that this sometimes makes some people uncomfortable you know seeing that as a normal thing starts with being introduced to it very very young
0: yeah yeah that's great um yeah.
1: is there anything else that we haven't about
0: um some personal stories that sort of drive the work um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to share
1: yeah, uh, I can certainly talk about um, my personal experiences and just go into that a little bit more. Um, so as many people of color would, with similar experiences to me will say, you know, my definition of the American childhood was a very whitewashed one. Mm-hmm. So in my classrooms and in my social experiences, there wasn't a lot of room for people who looked like me. And I didn't see myself represented in textbooks and in books that I read for fun and the shows that I watched. And, and I loved to write. And even when I wrote, my protagonists were often white males. It's just what I knew. It's, it seemed like the rules of the road. And, and you know, whatever experiences my peers and I had about people who look like me, they were often insensitive. So, you know, teachers talking negatively about Indians to an entire class with me as the only Indian in that class and about students who picked up on this and carried it with them as their experience of my culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so, you know, what they internalized was just these sort of exclamation marks in my experience that were often negative. So uh, my hope is that, you know, we're sort of starting to change that wave a little bit with the introduction of these kinds of themes and an introduction of these themes in a positive way. Hmm. Um, And I would say if people are more, are interested in sort of learning a little bit more about us, they can visit our website um, at lovinglittleminds.org And, you know, they can find out more about how to subscribe there to the books that we pick each month. You know, they make great gifts for um, family members and grandchildren. You know, we have a lot of um, families who are, you know, whose grandparents are the ones who are subscribing. So I think that's wonderful. And um, if they want to contact us, they can do that through the website. And if they just want to follow along on what books we're picking each month, along with a few bonus ones, um, they can follow us on our social media at uh, lovinglittleminds.com on Instagram and on Facebook.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I follow you on Instagram. I think if you can't subscribe to also follow the books that you're reading and perhaps suggest them to local libraries if they don't already have them. Um, But I also heard in your um, story, thank you for sharing that, That like this um, idea of when, it sounds like in your experience, like uh, teachers being explicit about in a negative way about race and, and racial difference and I, I like my experience was like having other kids in class that had a racial difference, but there being no explicit inclusivity right and, and I think that it sounds like your, your books and your, um, your business are trying to work towards that like being explicit about um, including people and, and thinking about equity and um, diversity and celebrating that rather than ignoring it or or the opposite. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah sounds really powerful. I've been asking all of our, uh, everybody that I interview on the podcast what their favorite place to eat in Medford is and what they like to order there.
1: Yeah. Oh, so I really like the porch in Medford which is uh, Southern fair and, and, uh, Duke joint. And, and it's really cool because you can, they, they have these bands that come play, um, most, most weekends, and they also have you know an outdoor space where you can enjoy the food, and there's a nice grounds for if you have kids that are restless to to run around. Mm. <laughs> kind of makes it easy to to go to a restaurant. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so I really like it there. Um, I, as far as the 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 best uh, uh, item on their menu, I would say definitely try the cornbread yeah Ooh, delicious
0: yeah i've been there they have a big swing to on uh, the front in the patio
1: right <laughs> yes they do like nice. that one too
0: awesome um is there anything else that you want listeners to know
1: um no that's it yeah they can right. feel free to contact us anytime
0: awesome and we'll put those links in the show notes too so folks can access them easily um well thank you so much for making the time for the podcast
1: yeah absolutely
2: Mark your calendars for our Black Friday special, a nutrition jumpstart package available for purchase November 26th through 29th on our website, reimagined.com. This nutrition jumpstart is a four-week nutrition coaching package where you'll receive a one-hour consultation to go over where you're currently at and where you want to go, and together with your coach, you'll create a plan to work towards your goals. Each week for the next three weeks, you'll have a 30-minute follow-up coaching call with your coach to discuss how things went the previous week and what are the next steps for the week to come. This is not a meal plan or telling you what foods you can't or can eat. This is a relationship that works with you to develop a plan that you feel confident about. No toxic diet culture, no moralizing food with terms like good, bad, or clean eating. No shaming about food choice, just here to listen and work with you to provide some guidance towards your goals because you're the expert of you and we're here to support you on your journey. So get ready for your nutrition jumpstart and visit our website, reimagym.com, on Black Friday. That's reimagym.com, R-E-I-M-A-G-Y-M.com.
0: so much to Simi and Loving Little Minds. Please check out the link to their website in the show notes for more information about how you can subscribe or support subscriptions for others. Now on to the next interview with Dr. Anand. All right, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Would you mind just introducing yourself, saying your name and pronouns?
3: Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Daniel. Uh, So my name is Divya Anand, uh, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Great,
0: awesome. So um, just before we get into um, like our topic for today, I've been asking everybody about their favorite place to eat in Medford and
3: what they like to order there. So my absolute favorite place right now is the neighborhood kitchen. Uh, it's a stone's throw away from where I live. Mm. Um, I love their pork griot and mm. uh, their Caribbean, like their chicken, um, their mac and cheese um, mm. and um, yeah, I just really like the food from the neighborhood kitchen. And another place is, the Sal- is Salvatore's. I mm. love their bread and oil mm. <laughs> that they serve up front. Um, so yeah, those are the two places that I really like in Medford. Great. I'll to keep those noted for myself. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Um, so today I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about like, your professional work and the research that you're doing.
3: Uh, Yes, so I do two roles. Uh, One is I teach at a college in Boston, Cambridge College. Um, I teach uh, as a senior faculty and also in the early college program, which is a a, a program for high school students from Somerville and Mm -hmm. Charlestown to gain college credits and uh, this is a desi funded program, and most of our students are, uh, you know, black, brown, uh, mm. uh, African-American, uh, or uh, indigenous students of color. And that has been one of the most fulfilling, um, you know, mm. teaching stints that I've had, and I continue to go there. Uh, and last year, we taught a course in partnership with uh, Charles Hamilton Houston House for um, Race and Justice mm. uh, on Community, social justice stories and storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, which was very well received. It was co-taught by Bob Glover, who's an you know Emmy award-winning um, producer. So you know that was like the highlight of mm-hmm. my um, and a lot of what I teach inform the research that I do, mm-hmm. um, which is again on uh, you know race and how community and and. Uh, and topics of justice so Mm. I also teach psychology of race think outside the book which is a a course in the early education program Mm. allowing you know how do you foster critical thinking among uh, young children uh, Mm. to ask crucial questions right who's not speaking who's passive um, so on and so forth and um, and in my other role, I'm also a co-founder of an education consultancy based in Medford, mm-hmm. uh, with my business partner and close friend Ariel FitzHugh. Uh, mm-hmm. Ariel used to be the director of the Medford Boys and Girls Club um, before she, you know, um, came and joined me, and now she's also the director of the Big Sisters in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and I, um, you know, started this organization together, and the main aim was to provide. Um, Training for early educators and parents, and we have done some work with the Metro Family Network as well. Mm. But now we are shifting focus to directly work with children and youth of color, mm. uh, rather than train people who are working with them. We mm. we are just kind of shifting gears, mm. and uh, we have some work coming up in Lynn, hopefully very soon, and a few other spots as well, in that sphere. Oh, that's
0: so interesting. What's been your sort of favorite part about all those things you just mentioned? Um,
3: one of my favorite parts like I said you know was interacting with youth and directly mm. with them because uh, you know um, as children and as young adults they don't really have the power mm. sometimes they don't have the power to articulate but they yet they do have these experiences and I volunteered a lot with the Medford Boys and Girls Club before they transitioned to the Y. Yeah. Uh, I used to do book readings using the think outside the book framework mm-hmm. which we which I would I would even go far as to say um, that the children helped me develop because mm. you know I would take a book we would just uh, flip through the first two pages and I would ask them questions mm. and it would go on to an hour long conversation and a lot of students of uh, the kids in the room um, they were always internalizing their experiences in school Mm. and this conversation allowed them to hear from each other to think that you know this may not be their own fault like you know Mm. if they are being bullied if they have a different experience from a teacher you know if they are not getting the supports or the care Mm. that they expect as young kids um so you know it really came alive and uh, we got that you know like we captured a lot of that it was published into a paper yeah so that was a very transformative and very fulfilling experience for me from a research point of view and i always have think that you know whatever community work i do has to give back to those communities that i am researching on because at the end of the day i am profiting off from, you know, what is happening to them. And so, you know, I'm also equally responsible and accountable to change that reality without coming in as a savior or without coming in as like, I have all the solutions, but to learn from them and to be at their service. That's how I would frame it. Um, So, so I, so I really cherish those, uh, you know, uh, those young kids and their families that I met through them. And I'm very thankful for Ariel. My, you know, my like she has been really a major influence in the way I, um, you know, s- shifted my work, my research, my you know whatever I do in the community outside of my family. She mm-hmm. has been a big influence. Yes. Wow, that seems such a like
0: a cool kind of intersection of like the research and the like maybe psychology practice, right? That like understanding the impact of these books on kids and also just like the messaging about their identity and I feel like when it's not being explored or like upheld it can lead to like that internalized shame that you're talking about right and like that seems so powerful to be able to like use that in in the in you know in practice in the community.
3: Yeah I mean it's also about like right now we talk about anti-racism and all of these things and um you know like in my research I always think like anti-racism yes but who is it for Mm. like whose experiences are spotlighting Mm -hmm. uh, for whom to learn
0: Mm. right Mm
3: -hmm. Um, and then you know who is it like all of this benefiting who is this being published for right Mm -hmm. Um, and these are not questions that we often ask because anti-racism or you know it's not uh, or racism in fact is not nothing is not something that's you know that People of color needed an awakening too, sure. <laughs> right? Um, so you have to ask those kind of critical questions around yeah. it, and um, you know, and it, not just for kids, but for adults as yeah, well. I feel. Yeah. Oh, and you you mentioned like
0: the sort of giving back to the community and sort of feeling like um, you're you're kind of like choosing a way to help that's like informed by what the community's asking for, and maybe is that's a good segue to talk about the sort of grassroots stuff you're doing in, in Medford. Uh,
3: uh yes. Um yes. Um and it is in fact grassroots because when I when we first moved to Medford, uh I was looking for organizations that worked, you know, in the community where I could, you know, volunteer with my daughter mm-hmm. or I and and in retrospect I really resist the term volunteer, Mm. you know, because it's like, I'm a giver. And Mm. um, I had a conversation about this with another Medford resident, David Harris, Mm. who uh, who used to be the, who was a former uh, director of the Charles Hamilton Houston House for Race and Justice at the Harvard Law School. Um, So I resist that term, but having said that, you know, in my interactions with some organizations, it was really hard to find organizations that were representative of the community, even within social justice spaces. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt like my voice was drow- drowned out. Mm-hmm. And this was between before George Floyd, like I'm talking mm-hmm. about 2016, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also felt that the, you know, like everything like social justice was done based off on everybody's comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and like, so as a person of color, uh, you know who holds us in between space of privilege and you know disprivilege for want of a better word I you know it was very disappointing it wasn't uh, it was always like I felt like I was giving and there wasn't you know like there, it was not an equal footing mm-hmm. I was like all constantly getting frustrated mm-hmm. as well because there was no conscious effort to get more people right and Mm -hmm. and when I say get more people who are representative of the city uh, it's not just inviting them Mm -hmm. right you have Mm -hmm. to build trust Mm -hmm. there needs to be like time and Mm -hmm. effort invested uh, for families to trust you to come and you know and it has to be friendships it cannot be like I'm gonna save you like you do this or Mm -hmm. you know you do my survey and I'm good you know it cannot be that So that's when I shifted to the community work and it started with a calendar project, which we did in 2019. And this is again, another good friend of mine, uh, Kate Gordon. Uh, She and I, she came up with this idea to do a calendar as a fundraiser for the Housing Authority residents. So I remember we both went to the first, uh, first time we went with the residents at a Thanksgiving dinner uh, with Lisa Tonello, another phenomenal person who Mm. does a lot of, uh, grassroots you know, work um, uh, and uh, when we said that this is what we're going to do we're going to raise funds like nobody signed up mm. nobody wanted to do that and uh, and because we were like just two strangers asking mm-hmm. something you know and they have had like many people come and go through the mm-hmm. doors asking for something or giving something without really engaging right mm-hmm. so we um, met with the residents over the course of a year mm-hmm. Uh, they would decide like what uh, and there were a lot of seniors very lovely you know uh, uh, like chefs and like who have had like multiple careers Mm. uh, people doing like two or three jobs also like there were other folks Mm. who would come in you know and show us these recipes so we would meet and they would do a demo of the recipes uh, of the dishes in Mm. the community kitchen at at edge hall and we would try and capture because everybody is like you know (laughs) eyeballing so Kate and I were like you know capturing all of that like scrubbing the dishes like chopping up the vegetables all of the labor we would offer Mm. and then we would go home and then we would together recreate the recipes and we brought it out and Um, we raised, we met our fundraising goal of like 5,000, uh, which was phenomenal, Mm. uh, because, you know, there were two things like we didn't want it to be a savior project first. We wanted it to be a project that, you know, everybody had a voice from the way it was conceived, executed, how the money was going to be spent. So we had constant conversations Mm. and, um, and Lisa Tunella was in fact the glue that held it together like she had uh, the trust of the community mm. they showed up for her um, and you know so it was you know it was mainly because of her that we could you know interact with sure. everybody and build our own small relationships friendships like you know uh, through the course of the year mm. so um and then the pandemic struck once we mm. brought the calendars out but Some of the, you know, money we raised um, came to the direct aid of the residents, uh, which was a big relief and Mm. they decided that's what they wanted to do. Um, And then we also set aside a portion for community programming. Initially everything was supposed to be community programming that the residents would decide what they would want to do. And our vision, which it still is, is to face ourselves out. So Mm. it would be like an ongoing program. And they already have like the seed money to do what they want without being reliant on any nonprofits or mm-hmm. any grants, like they created this, you know, from yeah. scratch, and they are like they created the capital themselves. They are deciding how to do it, wow. you know, yeah. and so one of the projects that came off of it is called Art Pruners, which we are doing at the Exchange Avenue location in the community center every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So we have kids showing up, and I have a collection of like you know uh, uh, like um, canvases used canvases like used stuff like mm-hmm. how do you repurpose stuff that would go to waste into something that is um, art mm. and which is also sellable mm. right so we have these conversations the kids just come in, go you know do and we talk about like how much are we spending right mm. what is the, you know where does how much does it cost for the paint for the brushes all of it you know we kind of got it for free from mm. donations mm. um But then again, we talk because it's also about building their financial literacy and thinking about like entrepreneurship and at the same time, conservation and giving creative expression. So Mm. we have like the first day when we started, we have one child show up. (laughs) The second time we had like more kids than we could accommodate. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And it has been consistent and it's been really good and uh, and. And the entrepreneur's program is also co-led by another resident, Josette. Um, so she comes in, she makes these connections, you know, she, um, like, so it's coming, uh, you know, it's coming together really beautifully. And I, I, I don't know whether I need, I have to say this, but I'm very protective also of mm. the program and the sure. space because there are, you know, in the past also with whatever we have done, there's a lot of folks who want in mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is not a learning space this is not a volunteering space this is a space where you are you know like you are not giving anything you just come and you be Mm -hmm. and we all like everybody brings in value everybody has assets you Mm. are not the only person who's bringing in an asset Mm. and that's a kind of thinking that one has to think you know Mm -hmm. kind of like flip sometimes um so you operate from a place of humility than anything else. And um, I'm very grateful and thankful for that space because um, I do think that, you know, I feel like it has really helped my mental health. Mm um from what <laughs> in yeah. the past yeah. to what it is uh, you know like i look forward to wednesdays when i'm meeting with the kids with lisa mm-hmm. she comes we you know like i have two other my daughter's classmates mm-hmm. um we go together and then you know they are like talking chatting helping each other it's mm-hmm. really it's really wonderful Mm. so far. Yeah, what's the age range of the kids in the So age range is between eight and 12 is what we uh, said, but we do have like, you know, second graders popping in and, you know, really talented kids and talking a dime a dozen about what they want to create (laughs) and what this should be. So we're kind of open to all, but Mm. that was the age group that we were looking for, so. And so they just create art for themselves or what? No, those? so um, once they have created, we are hoping that we have like at least 50 pieces and then we would, you know, have an exhibition mm. come sale at, at Jolly Hall. Cool. And then, you know, so then we would collect, like, you know, raise funds and then the kids can, you know, get some pocket money out of it and then they can decide what else they want to. So it's all up to them, mm. like what they how yeah. and what, like we are still in the planning stages. This is just the first phase.
0: That's so cool. And so for now, though, it sounds like helping to support this program would be the form of donating to the GoFundMe or buying a calendar. If yes, that.
3: yes. Okay. So we have the second second calendar because of the pandemic. We couldn't do a calendar for 2020, but we have one for 2022, which was called Moments in Medford. So we asked all the calendar participants from the previous year uh, what gave them joy through the year. Um, and we have had like really great submissions from like eight year olds to, you know, like folks who are seniors. And, um, and it's such a great memory as well. We have like one uh, page. Um, one month featuring the women from the fourth floor uh, they you know they 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 decorated their Christmas tree throughout the year wow. and they like they were a pod mm-hmm. uh, and so that was what was giving them joy and they have a really fabulous photograph and I think three of the folks in that photograph are no more so oh. it's such a you know, it's really sad, but at the same time, it's a memory. Yeah. Uh, it's such a great way to capture their, uh, like, memory of their, you know, yeah. community and friendship. So, yeah. Oh,
0: that so, description just, it, that makes me want to see it even, <laughs> even more. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, each of those pages has a story like that. Like, you know, I just shared one of those, but each of those have, has a story. Wow. Oh, wow, yeah. that's amazing! It's
0: like it sounds like you've been able to really like reflect some of the values of the community into those calendars, and like it's uh, yeah, it sounds beautiful. <laughs> Something for them to be proud of. Yeah.
3: Exactly, and you know, like not depict. You know, like there's always this monition or you know, like this dualism where we are thinking that you know, like. Um, you're the giver and there's a taker and there's a set and you know we have assets and you there's some deficit Mm -hmm. and I really want to think outside that binary and break in my own head you know Mm -hmm. to think that I'm not giving or I'm not volunteering I'm just being there you know and this is I am actually the one who's benefiting from this interaction Mm. more than anybody else, you know, because Mm -hmm. there's so many, and you see that when people offer, like, can I, you know, I would like to, I love Indian food, can I, like, can I, you know, I would like to bring you some Haitian food, and Mm. I'm like, yes, (laughs) you know, um, and and it is at the end of the day, I think about trust, yeah, um, and that takes time, and I don't see many spaces that are intentional about that.
0: Yeah, well, and I think what you're describing—that like power dynamic of like, um, oh, like you know, what what everybody brings to the table, or this like perception of a deficit, right? Like, that feels like a barrier to building trust, right? And so what you're saying, sort of trying to like, um, you know, address that dynamic and like, helps to create the trust in that community too. Wow. And you shared a lot of reflections, um, just sort of about uh, just your experience living in Medford over the last several years. Um, through some pretty difficult times, it sounds like, for many of us. Um, I wonder if you have any, like, reflections on sort of what's been going on in the city over the past few years, or especially the recent municipal election.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I have attended my share of uh, city council meetings. Um, I have been, like, pre-pandemic and also, I think, a few post-pandemic as well. Um, I don't really have to spell it out like how it is uh, Mm. for a person of color to sometimes sit through these uh, you know like debates Mm -hmm. about which are very dehumanizing Um, and then again like and and one of the things that strikes me about Medford it's always like you know (laughs) this us versus them Mm. either everybody is completely bad and we are the you know great you know, the good ones Mm -hmm. versus the bad ones. Mm -hmm. And there's no middle ground. Um, And when I say that, I also add the caveat that I do not like sit across a table with someone who's an evolved racist. Um, Mm. You know, like if you say that uh, there is no conversation, there Mm -hmm. is no middle ground, that's it. But then um, I also see that this us versus them allows for um, white people to still hold power. Because we still have a very wide school committee, mm-hmm. uh, and we have a very wide city council, mm-hmm. right? Um, when I say a very wide school committee, what I'm saying is that it, the the school committee reflects the same data that there is um, 82 percent of teachers in uh, you know in schools in the United States are white and female, mm-hmm. identify as white and female, uh, and we have the same in. Um, the school committee but the but the larger you know uh, conversation that's happening is like you know we got the progressives elected Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and it's like a catch-all phrase that everything everybody who is uh, anointed as a progressive is like saintly and you know everybody is uh, brushed with the same big you know same stroke um and i find that really um challenging to understand Mm -hmm. to me it speaks of a lack of critical thinking Um, it speaks of a lack of, you know, and it allows, actually it allows white supremacy to go unnoticed Mm. because, Oh, these are the bunch of like the best well-intentioned, you know, great progressive white people who have your back. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, in my personal experience, um, I've had different experiences from each of those candidates I have made, you know, like sometimes I haven't spoken up about that. and then, you know, and I also <laughs> I also wrote I, in the not this election cycle, the last election cycle about the lack of, you know, African-American black indigenous candidates of color. Mm-hmm. And then we had the chance to elect a black woman, mm-hmm. one of the most highly qualified black women. Mm-hmm. Um, where was the support? Mm-hmm. What happened to the, you know, the the dime a dozen book readings and, you know, mm-hmm. the city sponsored events and film discussions like wh- you had the chance to elect a black woman. Sure. And I hold myself accountable in this space, too, that, you know, we should have all done more. But then again, I find that there is a conversation and y- we have had that conversation, too, that, you know, she should have signed the OR, you know, on the OR, onto the OR platform, dah, 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 mm-hmm. which again, like, you know, from what I shared in the beginning, for me, I always like think twice mm-hmm. when it's a white majority organization.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: However progressive, like social justice oriented you are, I would not sign on, like mm-hmm. in my current, you know, where I am at in my mind, I will not, sign off uh, you know, um, onto a platform, which is a very white, yeah. um, and especially after a year and a half, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I don't know what Georgiana's reasons were. Um, she's a very dear friend of mine, and I've known her before the election she, because of the housing authority, mm-hmm. and she was also an employee at Merrimack where I used to teach. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what the reasons are, but if, you're con- if your support to a highly qualified black woman is conditional, mm-hmm uh you are no different than uh you know a racist who wants a token mm. who agrees on to their platform
0: sure yeah i think that's what you know what we've been seeing a little bit is like that signing on to the our revolution um platform like sort of didn't make space for that critical thinking right so like if somebody's not signed on to that especially a black woman why wouldn't we sort of think critically about like well why wouldn't a black woman sign on to a camp to work with a campaign like that and maybe it doesn't have to do with being on one side or the other but something about her personal experience I
3: mean I shared with Georgiana that I was really glad that she didn't mm. that was me like from my lens mm-hmm. I was really glad that she didn't mm-hmm. that um you know, and I can't speak to what her reasons were, but, you know, I was really happy that she didn't sign off Mm -hmm. and she was on running on a different progressive slate. And I know for a fact that she was the one who crafted the anti-racism policy for the housing authority. Mm -hmm. She got the staff to sign off on it. She shared it with me Mm -hmm. when she was doing it. We have had multiple conversations about, you know, she reviving the tenant association. So I have known of her work in this space and Mm -hmm. her qualifications. Like she's, highly qualified I Mm -hmm. mean you don't like someone just because they are black Mm -hmm. like you know I find it insulting when somebody invites Mm -hmm. me to the table because I'm just brown Mm -hmm. I am not you Mm -hmm. know there's multiple other things about me that makes me qualified and yes um some of us have to um you know jump double the barriers Mm -hmm. to get those same qualifications right um so you have to have that well-rounded understanding, again, going to the critical thinking part. I, find, I found that really disheartening mm. and I again, I think it's, an, it's another way that whiteness works, you mm-hmm. know, and, and then nobody is to blame, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, except for the black candidate, of course, like she didn't, you mm-hmm. know, she didn't do that, she didn't do this, but nobody else is to blame, we are the good white people mm-hmm. and I just can't sign off on that. So I'm deeply disappointed yeah. Um, and I also want to talk about like, I'm really happy that Justin won uh, the city council seat, but at the same time, I also am very cognizant of this, you know, the whole Asian American, uh, you know, model minorities projected as a token. Mm. Um, and to project this that, oh, we got him elected. So, you know, we are all for diversity. Mm-hmm. As long as there is a, there you don't have like black women in the mm. plural. Um, you're not there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and creating a space for black women to speak their minds, mm-hmm. um, and be the full, you know, uh, all of themselves, all parts of themselves. Uh, I don't think, and we have, we are a long way from that mm. in, in Medford. I think we are not even having that conversation. I feel. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I think I really appreciate you sharing that perspective. I think it's something that lots of people felt, uh, the surprise when she wasn't elected and I don't know that that's like a fair way to feel given all the context, right? Um, And yeah, no, it's like really helpful to I think have this way of thinking about it. I mean
3: one one reason why I'm thinking about this now like to hold myself accountable is like why did I not speak up like before the elections? Like, you know, like what's happening? I should have been like and, and and You know, I think all of us need to ask ourselves that, like, Mm. you know, why do we think like, you know, having this... pro And and, and I think it might be a moment for OR also to hold themselves accountable. What did they take away Mm. from getting this woman elected? Why did they not offer uh, their support unconditionally?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all good things, I think, to think about for the next two years, how how to position
3: yeah sounds, and i and, and I hope it just does not you know uh, it, and I hope it translates into like action that's mm. um that's tangible mm-hmm. yeah no thank you so much um, anything
0: that you'd like to add about anything we've talked about so far
3: um, no uh, n- not really i I would really like to like you know see more um representation more spaces for um uh, people of color that are not curated by white people mm. mm-hmm. uh, big yeah. in big bold letters yeah. and people of white people who curate those spaces to have some consciousness about that mm. um, you know uh, because there's so much of centering and pontificating mm-hmm. and you know um, and one of the things that, that benefited me in the past you know four years especially because of my interactions with Ariel is like Uh, Who are you? Who do you want to change? Like, who are you doing this for? Mm -hmm. Right? Are you doing this for, you know, uh, the kids of color to change their minds? Or are you doing this for the white teachers to learn how to change? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, where do you like think about that? Like, Mm -hmm. because when I was, you know, doing this community work, like, I I just went and did like whatever organization was there. Let me just go along with them without really having that critical thinking. Mm -hmm. But now I think that who is this for, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, why? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I and so and also like as an Asian American person, I always I come from a lot of privilege. Mm -hmm. So I am always conscious about how whiteness can always co-opt me Mm. As the token diversity person and make mm-hmm. me the spokesperson um and I'm not when mm-hmm. as long as there is no black woman in the room, mm-hmm. uh you will not get me mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know you mm-hmm. cannot use me as as a diversity yeah. representation
0: yeah
3: uh, i just I'm very painfully conscious about that, yeah. and that came with time I yeah think. of course and well, in listening to some
0: of the city council meetings um you know last year. I think there was this like sort of phrase that kept like people would say like, well, if people of color want to have a voice in city council or they want to have their like, you know, they want to be heard. They know that we're here and they should come to us. So I wonder what your sort of response is. So let
3: me tell you this, you know, so I um, was uh, for a a little while, like trying to get the gender equity commission along with Nicole and there were two other women and Ariel was also a part of it one time I went to city council to speak about this and my daughter my eight-year-old was with me in -hmm. the room one city councillor will not look at me when he responded would look at my uh, you know the white woman who was next to me Mm. Uh, it's not you know it was so intentionally disrespectful they were you know mispronouncing my name laughing when I was uh, you know um, responding to them Uh, and it took a, you know, it was a, we devoted a lot of time to, you know, frame some of the ordinance and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then they were going like, you know, and an ex-counselor, in fact, he was like, uh, we have a woman mayor and we have had like, women councillors, why are we talking? This is so divisive, da 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 da. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, there are countries like in India in Bangladesh, Pakistan, we have had prime ministers and presidents who are women. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that every woman in, down the road is re- living a, a life of like, you mm. know, like complete rights and e- mm-hmm. equality? No. So don't use that. And then when did African-American women get the right to vote? Like, mm. let's talk about that. So I had to school them. And then in the end, there was this white person who was silent throughout, like a white man. who I think he is a lawyer. He um, came up and... he. And towards the end he just pulled the papers up in his hand and he's like this is a piece of trash this should belong to the uh, you know dustbin like it mm. should not we should not even be discussing it the, you know we should not even be talking about it um, and then everybody was like oh let's listen to him oh. you know like what's he saying and peop- and even the woman who was with me advocating for the gender not Nicole she was like let's have coffee let's, let's have a con-. and I'm like stop talking to him Mm. like all the labor that we did all of that and sitting through this whole meeting the moment the white male spoke Mm. you know everybody was like oh let's listen to him let's you know like whatever you know concerns he has let's you know like without even thinking about like what you know like that me with my daughter in the room like you know the whole dynamic and it's very hard once you're conscious of this power play and Mm -hmm. how these things work to unsee it like for me like i am very cognizant about how like what's working like mm-hmm. from an objective space as well in my head like you know the research i do the readings that i like they're like check the box mm-hmm. white out like you know mm-hmm. like things like happen like this is what is happening so there's that and i you know um i also wanted to share like we as an organization also one um so this is my uh, you know, one of the standout experiences. And yeah. then I decided I was never going to take my daughter to the, yeah. um, you know, any of these meetings yeah. because I always used to take her to a Human Rights Commission meeting, yeah. like everything, you know, but now I have decided not to. And we also had a really um, negative experience with Arts Medford. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we volunteered with them for a year and a half uh, for a project called Visible, Invisible, uh, Medford which mm. was uh, an idea coming off from humans of New York mm. uh, to and this was sometime in 2017 2018 mm-hmm. uh, and at that time you know I was like you know I would feel like I'm the beggar here like mm. I don't have the ba- like the support the networks to create something by myself so mm-hmm. I need to associate or get the support of organizations that are functioning in Medford so I went with this idea, they were on board, did a lot of like free workshops and you know sessions with them, multiple meetings, and then in the last year, um, they just did the project, uh, advertised for the project without letting us know or without acknowledging us. Mm. And there was a lot of disrespect that was also shown to my uh, partner, my business partner, Ariel, who's African-American, so mm. I was like, this is it, like there are many things I let go, but I just needed to make a um, statement about it. So Mm -hmm. we filed a complaint with the Medford um, city with the civil rights, through the civil rights complaint process, and I also uh, wrote to the mass cultural council because um, I had written a letter of support uh, Mm -hmm. uh, to them for a grant, which was, you know, funded. So Mm -hmm. they had funding for the project. So I wanted to alert them. And it went, like the process was again, like textbook, like mm. show us the evidence, you know, okay, I already did, but like itemize it. I'm mm. like, no, I'm not spending enough, like the, the fact that I'm, and both of us are so highly qualified, um, and yet it is so easy to erase and steal our labor, mm-hmm. and do that without acknowledgement, and think that you can get away with it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then come back to us with more and more and more. That's um, uh, so common and so disheartening. Um, And uh, I hope the civil rights process becomes more robust uh, than just being like a neutral, you know, party to pass uh, the complaints to to both the aggrieved parties, Mm. but um, be on the side, like be actually equitable, which means taking sides Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, providing support for those who have been uh, you know given the short end of the deal so to speak Um, but I would like to see those kind of changes happen Um, and the mass cultural council paid us a compensation directly so they kind of saved (laughs) came to save them and gave us the compensation that we asked for although like there was in the process there was character assassination um you know that i'm after money and uh, there was a lot yeah. of like eight page you know responses which i would not go into but it was very emotionally draining and i cannot say like and it was like a civil complaint right mm. so i can't even like think about like when it is like a, a you know a bigger grievance like the kind the how the process in and of itself is punishment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process to seek redressal in and exactly. of itself is punishment
0: and that's all on you the person who was agreed right like and you know your story about city council too is like making me think about not only the like racial difference but the gender difference and what that angry white guy could do in that room versus like you know you, you you're you know women of color and what you know what the expectation would have been of your behavior in that setting too oh yeah
3: yeah, yeah. and I speak with an accent I'm obviously I look like this you know and I and I own my accent like mm. I'm one of those people who will not change my accent yeah. and which is one of the you know things that I think I connect with my students so mm. much because I look like them right sure. um, and but then in white spaces I am the outlier like whatever qualification I have is not good enough mm. And it's good enough, like ideas are good enough to steal, but not to acknowledge, mm. like with my recent <laughs> experience, right? Oh, so yeah. Um, yeah. so you can understand why I steer clear of like, for sure. um, you know, and I, I try, I, I have learned to prioritize my mental health, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I have stopped engaging on social media. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't yeah. do anything for me. You know, yeah. it's for your benefit if I'm going to walk you through something. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd rather, you know, think about some ideas to do with my entrepreneur's care, you know, like sure. with my, with that program or, you know, something else. Yeah, on cool. then.
0: Well, and I think we've talked about trust a few times, but like that example also like makes me think about like if the message is people of color can come to us and tell us what they need, that there is seems to be this like implicit like mistrust of those people coming to city council when and when really really the trust needs to be built between city council and those people whose needs need to be met by the city
3: oh yeah and the assumption is that the city council is like you know can always be trusted mm-hmm. right. you know like the city council is inflexible we are good we are white we are you know like mm-hmm. saints you know we mm-hmm. are progressive come to us mm-hmm. but if people are not coming to us then you need to sit back and you know think about like yes to the why yeah. um and yeah, that's
0: a great point. Well, thank you for sharing those stories. They used to sound painful and I appreciate you like telling them to me right now. Um, is there anything else that you want to amplify for listeners of the podcast?
3: Mm, I would, you know, uh, I don't know like whether I'm the person to amplify or I have any capacity, but I can only share like how I'm operating right now and whether whether that may be useful or may Mm. not be useful, but it's not like, you know, any, like, it might change. I don't know, I'm Mm. always, like, learning. But one thing is to be very intentional, Mm. where you expend your energy, Mm. especially when you're working with a community, like, to ask yourself, like, who is this benefiting? Mm -hmm. Um, And and to, you know, openly talk about um, white and whiteness, because we often shy away because it's, like, uncomfortable, but Mm. just to ask yourself, like, how is whiteness working here? Mm -hmm. Which gives you the answers with like how, like for me, it's such a deep disappointment Mm. to see the school committee and the city council Mm. the way it is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And what is that like? And if we are okay with this, why, Mm. right? How is, because the thing with all of this is like, when we talk about power and its connection to white supremacy, whiteness, it's often invisible. You know, it's all often like implicit. It's under the radar, Mm -hmm. Um, which is again, like what I was talking about, like when you have like a progressive slate, all the progressives happen to be white. Mm -hmm. Why are we not talking about that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Why are we not talking about the whiteness in the progressive slate? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are we doing to change that? Mm -hmm. And what did we not do when we actually had a black woman running Mm -hmm. for city council? Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I'm deeply disappointed but then again like you know being conscious and being intentional Mm -hmm. for people who have the time you know the luxury of time I would say the privilege of time because Mm -hmm. not everybody has time to even volunteer right Mm -hmm. folks who do three four jobs don't have time to volunteer Mm -hmm. enjoy the arts go canvassing Mm -hmm. none of that right so um even thinking about like where we expend our energies why and for whom I think yeah Yeah, that's great advice (sighs)
0: Um and we'll all share the um, GoFundMe in the show notes so people can yes. access the calendar too. Yes. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> it yes. awesome.
3: Um the 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 calendars are a great way because you know, um it is about building capacities for people the way they want to be built and and amplifying their assets mm. not what we think is mm-hmm. you know, asset.
0: Sure.
3: Right? Uh and the money, uh whatever we uh, you know, um get will be spent uh, based on their decisions as to how to um, and our end vision like I said earlier is for myself and Kate to kind of phase out Mm. and you know they themselves like running the show and they have the seed money we were not reliant on anybody Mm. you know we created something People paid for like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's very I I'm I'm not really knowing like it's very self reliant mm. because I'm also very conscious about the non profit, you know, industrial complex. <laughs> um yes. you know, it's all connected, right? Mm. Um so so in that way I I I don't know, like this project um, is grassroots it directly benefits the community in the ways that they want to benefit from it and they are the decision makers There are no other curators in mm. place to you know So it's it's direct benefit mm. and asset base. So those are the two things So if people can contribute you can buy a calendar um, you can donate a calendar. It makes great gifts for teachers mm. and um uh, and it's a source of pride, and we have had donations. You know, like mm-hmm. we have had folks, a lot of folks who are very generous uh, to donate because the last time when we did the calendar, we could not provide them for free to a mm-hmm. lot of residents because we had the goal of, you know, raising funds with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time we were like, let's do donations and sales so mm-hmm. that folks can donate if they didn't need, it. and a lot of folks have donated mm-hmm. calendars so we can provide them for free for the residents. That's you know, awesome. yeah. yeah, that's great. So.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Anand, and thanks for talking to me on the podcast. <laughs> thank
3: you, thank you. It was a pleasure to speaking with you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much to Simi, Dr. Divya Anand, and Reimagium. Links can be found in the show notes for the GoFundMe that Dr. Anand mentions to support the entrepreneurs of the Medford Housing Authority and their community calendar. If you have feedback about today's episode or suggestions for future episodes, you can email medfordpod at gmail.com. You can also subscribe, follow, and rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple pa- Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.
1: Guys, what's the name of the podcast? Medford Bites! Medford Bites! <laughs> Go dog!